This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. A woman trying to fall asleep. A couple at Lover's Lane. A mother and her daughter traveling through France. What do all three of these scenarios have in common? They're part of our trilogy of terror today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I actually, I don't know if you guys can notice this, but I have a whole new setup. I bought, I used my Patreon money and I bought some pretty high-end stuff. So hopefully it sounds better. If it sounds worse, let me know so I can return it. But uh, yeah, so this is all new for me. Investing in the show and I can't do that without my Patreon supporters. We have a new one. Let's give a round of applause to Bill Gapes. Bill Gapes. Let's give him a round of applause. He's doing a little bow for us. He's going to be our pilot, our captain this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. That also really, really helps out a lot. We're almost done with October, and I've been thinking, we haven't had any really scary episodes. We haven't done any real spooky stuff. Now, the stuff in this episode, I don't know if it's terror might be pushing it it's it's more of a disturbing story but not disturbing like monday's episode monday's episode was gross too disturbing there's there there's a line but the reason why i wanted to do this episode is i actually had a dream last night (laughs) you're like already fast forwarding yes no one wants to hear about dreams but every so often i'll have a very rarely i guess i should say i'll have a really unsettling nightmare i have a really good friend named jackie Talked about her several times on the show. I haven't spoken to her in in probably about a year now, but, you know, because people have families and stuff like that. But really, really close friend of mine growing up. Last night I dreamt she was a witch. She was up to no good. She was casting spells on people. She was interrupting the daily life of this community I lived in. It was modern times. I didn't live in, like, 1890s. I wasn't carrying milk to turn into butter. This is modern times. But I found out that she was this witch, and she was up to no good. She had all sorts of powers, and I grabbed her by the throat. Don't read too much into this, especially Jackie, if you're listening to this podcast. I grabbed Jackie by the throat, and I'm bringing her to the constables, or the police, because again, it's not old time. There's actually officers of the law. I'm grabbing her by the throat, and I'm carrying her through the center of town to where I know where law enforcement's at, and she's talking trash. She's kind of like goading me on to do whatever, but I have won the day. She has this little smirk on her face, and I have my hand wrapped around her tiny little neck. And when I walk into the police station, my hand is around my own neck. And she's gone. And I'm like, where did she go? And they're like, well, you know, that is Jackie for you. I go, yeah, Jackie does have those powers. You really, I let go of my neck at this point. I'm not still strangling myself. I go, you never really know what to expect. Like at some point I did have her by the, maybe, maybe I never captured her. Maybe that was all in my imagination. And I'm talking to these officers of law and they're like, yeah, she really has the ability to warp reality. And I said, for all I know, this isn't real. And I'm crucified 
in some abandoned warehouse somewhere with my legs chopped off. And then instantly the dream ended and I was in this room crucified and I can barely breathe. I can barely hold up the weight of my body because that's what crucifixion does. It starts to compress your lungs. And there was a mirror set up in front of me, and I could see my face turning a weird bluish purple, and I'm gasping for breath. And I remember I start looking down to see if I had my legs, but I couldn't take my eyes off of the image of myself in the mirror that had been set up so I could see my own death. And then the dream starts again, and we're like, ha! laughing with the constables and stuff because what a wacky idea who would think that someone could alter reality that much and then i woke up and i'm laying in bed and i'm like that was a creepy nightmare bill gates is hiding under the covers come on that that's not the creepiest story we're going to talk about and it was just the dream or was it it's really weird to have a dream where you're watching yourself slowly die but Bill Gates, come on, get out of the get out of the bed. He's like, these sheets are so clean. You have to get in the dead rabbit rowboat. We are leaving behind America, and we are headed out to California. <laughs> I thought we were going to another country. This first story, we're headed to California, someplace in California. We don't have a specific location. We don't have a name of this person. And I know you guys are thinking, well, is this a dream? Was this made up? Well, we'll get to it whether or not it was a dream in a second, because it does start off in bed. A lot of these stories that start off in bed, I'm already a little suspicious of. So it's February 1997. We're in California, and we're going to meet this woman. We're not going to meet her because she's actually in bed right now. She's like, what? What are all these people showing up? We're like, shh, we're we're here for a podcast. Don't pay attention to us. Pay attention to the thing that's about to happen, but not all these strangers in your bedroom. We're going to call her Margaret. Margaret is sleeping. So it could be a dream. We will. <laughs> I always got to say that. Margaret's sleeping, and then all of a sudden, <gasps> she wakes up, and she hears, Margaret, Margaret. I don't know if the voices are super creepy. Come here, Margaret. I don't know, but she heard her name. Be- it could have just been like, Margaret. Hey, yeah, you, Margaret. She just heard someone calling her name. They weren't like, a tasket, a tasket. But they may have been, I don't know. It's not enough details with this story. So that's not really creepy. It is. <laughs> it is to wake up in the middle of the night into an empty room and someone's saying your name. That's super spooky. But that's not the creepy part of the story. She finds herself paralyzed. She can't move. Sleep paralysis is very common. It's a real thing. She's laying there in bed. Now, eventually, she starts struggling more and more. She's able to roll over onto her side. And that's when she sees a human walk into the room. Now, he's a pretty short guy. So we'll say four feet tall. Fairly short man. Almost alien height. So you think it's a gray alien, a hybrid. This dude has a full head of hair and a little beard. We don't really see facial hair among aliens. The story crosses a lot of weird boundaries. But everything else that's going on seems alien. He walks into the room, almost floats into the room. She said the way that he glided, she she couldn't see his feet. She's frozen, but now she's sideways in the bed. She had struggled enough to do that. She could see he kind of floated across the ground. And she's continuing to struggle. She's obviously distressed that this total stranger's in her bedroom. She's frozen. Who, Who was calling her names? There's a whole bunch of questions. And the bearded man just kind of looks at her and says, Hmm, 
You should be used to this by now. And then the next thing she knows, it's daylight. I think that story's creepy. Come on, Bill, get out of underneath her covers as well. He's a little super scared. I think this story is creepy. Yeah, all the elements are pretty routine. Like, I'm not saying they're not creepy just because we hear them all the time, but sleep paralysis, alien abduction, all that stuff is creepy in and of its own. But the fact that, the fact that one, that was his exact quote, you should be used to this by now. It's so clinical. The first time you go in for a rectal exam, it's going to be incredibly uncomfortable. Probably it'll do that for the first 10 times. But eventually, you'll just be like, well, it's time for my rectal exam. What are you doing that you need so many? Who knows? Maybe you like to ride dirt bikes. Is that a thing? Does that mess up your butthole? I assume it would. You get a bunch of dirt in it. Eventually, you're going to get used to it. The fact that this is happening so often that this alien doctor, I can presume, would say, hmm, that's, she's still fighting it. You should be used to it by now. And it's that idea of he's probably made comments to her multiple times during these examinations or abductions or whatever they are. And she doesn't remember any of them. There's been so many interactions between herself and this being and not remembering any of it. It's already weird enough when you're walking down the street and you see someone who clearly recognizes you and starts talking to you and you don't remember them. It's always like, what? How did? I, how could I forget a whole human being? Now add the possibility of that person abducting you from time to time and putting stuff in your body, and then be like, "Hey, Jason, remember me?" I was like, "Uh, can you jog my memory?" Yeah, I broke into your apartment the other day. Totally abducted you. What? What? No, I don't remember that at all. Oh man. Well, I'll see you later. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? It's ten times more disturbing when you have that on it. So I thought that story was again just creepy. A creepy short little story for Halloween. It's not really Halloween related. It takes place in February of 1997, but it's still spooky. And I'm actually kind of feel bad that I haven't covered enough spooky stuff. So I wanted to get some spooky stuff for you. You're like, that's kind of spooky, Jason. Okay. Bill Gapes, let's go ahead and leave behind California. Now we're going to hop into the Jason jet. We are flying out to the country that never sleeps. Puerto Rico. Jason Jet's flying over there. We're hanging out. Bill Gates has a bunch of blankets. He's flying the plane. He's too scared to fly the plane. Oh, come on, man. He's flying out there. We're going to Ponce in Puerto Rico. It's January 1999. It's late evening. Little crickets. <laughs> Apparently, they've evolved to be Blue Jays. Little crickets. Making those noises, making those... You're like, Jason, that's the farthest from a cricket noise, I think, is humanly possible. Frogs, then. I'm setting the scene. I'm setting the scene. I imagine Ponce, Puerto Rico looks like that little lagoon from The Little Mermaid. Anyways, there is... It's a lover's lane. See, you have two people. They're unnamed, so we're going to call them Ariel and Eric. They're sitting at this lagoon. They're doing more than just, do you want to kiss the girl? These They're getting hot and heavy. They've moved far past the musical numbers. They're getting hot and heavy. And uh, 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 that's not that's not the guy. That's not the guy. That's I, I forgot to change perspective. Now we're outside the car that they're in. And they turn and they look and they see standing outside of their car, Bigfoot. Now, I know what you're thinking. What? Bigfoot in Puerto Rico? I mean, that's 
<laughs> We've covered Mormon Bigfoot and Bigfoot's out of UFOs and Bigfoot's turning from human into Bigfoot. I don't know why I'm shocked. What? Bigfoot in Puerto Rico? That's unbelievable. I don't know why I'm shocked that Bigfoot could show up in Puerto Rico. Apparently he can. He did, in this story at least. Could be a localized version of Bigfoot. Because this Bigfoot has an interesting power. So let's go back to the narrative. I just want to do the noise again. And the couple turns and they look and they see Bigfoot standing outside the car. Glowing red eyes. The girl jumps out of the car. Fight or flight, right? You figure you're safe in the car. If like an elk shows up or a bear shows up to your car. I don't know if they have those in Puerto Rico. But for all I know, they do. Better to stay in the car. Against something like Bigfoot, your instinct may be to run away from it. To try to put distance between yourself and this giant creature. But the boyfriend sees the girl fiddle with the handle and she jumps out of the car. And he's like, wait, no, Ariel, come back. And he's expecting to watch her run off into the dark forest. But instead, she walks out of the car, walks to a cliff face that's there. I should have have said that up earlier. It's not a lagoon. There's a cliff there. She gets out of the car, doesn't run away. She walks to the edge of the cliff and jumps off. The Bigfoot leaves. And the girl survives. She doesn't die when she jumps off the cliff. But of course, people are thinking, if you're ever attacked by Bigfoot again, if this ever happens again, because it's so common, if you're ever attacked by Bigfoot again, stay in the car. And she goes, I didn't have a choice. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? And she goes, I was in the car with Eric reading Bible verses like we do every night. And then this creature showed up and the creature told me, no, 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 no. The creature forced me. It took control of my mind. It walked me to the edge of the cliff and made me jump. I didn't want to get out of the car. The creature made me. That's another interesting slice of lore we can add to the Bigfoot story. Maybe that's something only the Puerto Rican Bigfoot can do. But that is beyond creepy. I think, again, we've talked about this before, like beating up aliens. You can totally beat up a gray alien. I've beaten that message into the ground. But you always have to worry about them using mind control or some sort of space-age weapon. There's not many cryptids that can actually possess a human like that. There have been interesting stories about people getting ready to shoot cryptids, and we've talked about this recently on the show, and their guns, they imagine their guns are going to misfire so they don't pull the trigger and the cryptid gets away. And the implication is that that creature put that image in their head, much like Jackie Put the image of me, she didn't really, it was a dream, but put the image of me choking her, I was really choking myself. I never had her prisoner in the first place. But, but that's just illusion. The idea that you could be trying to outrun a Bigfoot or even look for a Bigfoot or really even not even knowing Bigfoot is in the area. You're out on a nature hike all by yourself and something is in the bushes completely unseen and you start to feel the need to kill yourself. She survived. So she could tell the story about what happened, but... There's variations of this. I mean, there's definitely different ways it could have came out. She could have just jumped off the cliff and died. And then the boyfriend would have said, well, yeah, first off, that would have been a murder case, right? (laughs) You can't go back to town and be like, hey, what happened to Ariel? And he's like, dude, you won't believe it. Bigfoot showed up and then she jumped off a cliff. They're like, awesome. Can you tell that story again? But with your hands behind your back and your head to the wall, that'd be totally awesome. You're under arrest. It would be be really hard to, to explain that away. But had she died... 
It would have just been, oh, she was so scared she ran out into the darkness, didn't know there was a cliff there. Or if there was no witness there, that when she jumped off the cliff, there was no one there to help render aid or get her back to the car or something like that. And you gotta wonder, just because we're paranormal people, how many times do you hear about these lone hikers or these mountain climbers or something that fall to their deaths? Tragic accident. It is tragic. But what if there's another paranormal answer behind that? What if they are successfully making that trek up the mountain, but then something in the bushes pushes them closer to the precipice? See, that's a creepy one. I thought that one was really creepy, too. Bill Gapes, he's already doing it. He's signaling in the Carpenter Copter. It's making a landing. You are going to fly us out from Puerto Rico. We are headed out to Paris, France. (laughs) And while we're headed out to Paris, France, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to turn the lights down a bit. The super dim. Bill Gates is like, I can't, I can't see where we're going. I just keep flying. Eventually, you'll see an Eiffel Tower and, and, then, and then stop. Land right there. But I turn to you in the dark and I hold a flashlight up under my face and I say, this Halloween, prepare yourself for the terrifying suspense thriller Spell, starring Omari Hardwick from the TV show Power and Loretta Devine. Marquis, played by Omari Hardwick, awakens from a plane crash, imprisoned by a mysterious woman practicing hoodoo magic. He desperately tries to break free to save his family from the sinister rituals that await. Spell is premiering at home on all digital platforms October 30th. Rated R from Paramount Pictures. I'm looking forward to this. It hasn't come out yet at the time of recording this, but I've watched the trailer a couple times. It looks, like I said before, it looks like a Tales from the Crypt. It looks it looks pretty cool. And then I was showing other people the trailer too, so because that's what I do. I show people trailers because no one has time to watch a whole movie with me. So we watch trailers. I turn the lights back on just in time. Bill Gates needs to learn how to fly by instruments, but he successfully lands us. We he did land us on the tip of the Eiffel Tower, so we gotta rappel down. But you did a great job anyway, sir. We are now at the base of the Eiffel Tower. We are in the 1880s, the late 1880s to be specific. It is the turn of the century. This was before Paris was the city of lights. It used to simply be the city of candles. (laughs) It was a very, very dangerous place to be. We're walking around in our old, timey clothes. Everything is velvety. And (laughs) we're not in a chocolate mousse commercial. Um, You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, imagine a steampunk, but without all the punk. It's just like old-timey ruffles and, and, and stuff like that. Jackets. We just have jackets and jeans on, okay? It doesn't matter. We're walking around Paris, France late 1880s, and we see a young woman running down the street. <gasps> she runs into the British embassy, and she's like, Monjours, Monjours, you won't believe what just happened, the event that just was laid forth on this fateful night. The British consulate's like, dude, can you speak English? And she's like, yeah, yeah, actually, I'm a British citizen. I don't know why I did that. I just read a Jane Austen novel. It just came out. It just came out yesterday. It's amazing. This woman, we don't have a name for her, but we do have an interesting provenance to this story. This story isn't one of those like, oh, it could be made up. This is a really interesting one. They're all interesting. Otherwise, I wouldn't tell them. But we're going to call this woman Bella. Bella and her mother, Susanna, are on a trip around Paris. It's actually the time of the exposition. So the whole city is full of people. Everyone's walking around going, whoa, look at that. Ooh, 
yeah, that's cool. Look, that's a globe. I've heard so much about these things. And, like, then they just walk home. They've just seen, like, food and stuff from other different countries. I, didn't, I did not research what an exposition was. I mean, I know what it is, just the generic, but I don't know which one they actually went to. But anyways, they just walked around, and they're like, whoa! And after a long day of walking around, Bella and Susanna retire to a local hotel. Now, because the exposition's in town, and everyone knows what it is, and everyone's there to see it, all the hotels are booked. So they actually had to, the hotel they got, actually, they couldn't get a double room. They had to get two single rooms, which, yes, is weird. If the hotel is booked, you would assume there'd be no rooms. But so I I don't know why there's two single rooms if it's so busy, but that is the case in this story. The mom chooses room 342. And Bella helps carry in her mother's bags and they set it down. And Bella describes the room that her mother chose. When they're outside the room, they all look the same. It's a hotel. But when they're inside the room, it's decorated with rose-strewn wallpaper and plum-colored velvet curtains. I knew there was velvet in this story. And the mom goes, oh, me, oh, my, have the vapors. And she says, I need to go to bed. And the daughter's like, that's weird. First off, I don't know what the papers are. I'm not from deep south. Secondly, yeah, my mom does tend to fall asleep, like most humans do. But she just seemed to collapse onto the bed. Bella lets her kind of lay there for a bit, but then she tries to wake her mom up. And her mom is ill at this point. She's not in a coma, but she's not doing well. There's a huge difference between the two. There's a huge difference between having a slight fever and being in a deep coma. She was somewhere in between that. So she goes downstairs and she talks to the hotel staff doctor. I guess they used to have these. You'd have a doctor that would just hang out at the hotel all day. He's playing pinball. He's like, oh man, I hope someone gets sick. I'm so bored. And that's what happened this night. He's like, yes. She goes, my mom, I think my mom's sick. Somewhere between a fever and a coma. And the doctor's like, I heard that diagnosis many, many times. He goes upstairs and he's diagnosing her and he goes, yeah, she's really bad. Um, what we need to do, I don't have the gear here to take care of her. It's at my office, not at the hotel. Even though my job is to be a hotel doctor, I don't have what I need to take care of her here. Let's hop in the horse and carriage. We're going to just go out to my office. We'll get the stuff. We'll come back, take care of your mom. So Bella's like, yeah, okay, that totally works. I mean, obviously she's not from Paris. She's from England, but it doesn't take long for her to realize that they seem to be going in circles around town. She's like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a tourist, but you can only see the Eiffel Tower so many times before. Even that's boring. What's going on? The doctor's like, oh, no, no, no. This is just the way (laughs) my house is magical. You have to go around the block three times counterclockwise and then one time clockwise. It's like playing The Legend of Zelda. There's a pattern to find my house. She said even when the... And she said he was going really slow in the horse and buggy, like it was a tour ride. And then when... They got to the office. He was like, where did I put that? What am I looking for again, huh? He sits down. He's watching television. He invents a television. He's watching. She's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to pick up medicine. He's like, oh, yeah, but uh, he's kind of looking around, (laughs) making a cheese sandwich. She goes, it took him forever to get there. And then once he got there, he didn't seem like he was in a hurry to get the medicine. But he finally finds the medicine. We go back to the hotel. She runs in the hotel and asks the concierge, How's my mom? The concierge looks at her and goes, You came alone, dear. You checked in by yourself. 
Bella's like, no, 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 I came with my mom, like, we checked in. And the concierge goes, what room was your mother in? She goes, room 342, the one with the roses and the velvet curtains. And concierge goes, no, there is no, I know I've mispronounced his name. <laughs> Get worse each time. Pierre will call him. Pierre goes, your mother did not check into room 342. Nobody under the name Suzanne checked into room 342. She's like, I didn't say that name. And he's like, gulp. He goes, it doesn't matter. There's no one. Your mom is not checked into room 342. You came alone. And she looks at the ledger. And it has a different name under room 342. So she rushes up the stairs. Knocking on the door. Hey, mom, let me in. I got that medicine. They'll bring you back. Bella's knocking on the door. Dude opens it up. The dude is puzzled as she is. He goes, no, no, no. I just checked into this room. There's no one else here. And she, at this point, is losing her mind. And as anyone would, she pleads to be let into the room. She knows that if her mom's not in there, there will be some trace that her mom was in there. So the stranger opens the door and she walks in. The wallpaper is different. The curtains are different. Her mother's luggage that she brought in herself is gone. Her mother was never seen again. Now, this is a fascinating story on two levels. One, that story, that narrative. Because you look at the idea of people just vanishing, poof, into thin air, portals, Mandela effect, time slips, alternate reality, all of these things. But then there's even a more fascinating backbone to this story. Obviously, the question we have, like stories like Manatored or the nanny who disappeared in Spain, are these stories real? There is a Reddit user named A. Carter 8, and they posted on the subreddit Unresolved Mysteries. This post, this is what brought this to my attention, so thank you very much, A. Carter 8. It might actually be Aaron Carter, which would be kind of interesting that he's now no longer in a boy band. He's investigating ghosts. He wrote this post called The Vanishing Hotel Room, A True Urban Legend. Laid out the narrative like I just did, and then takes it another step further. Is this story true? It turns out a lot of people have been asking that question over the years. This story was first published in newspapers back in 1898. So this isn't something that was popping up on the internet and it's been retconned. Back then, you could pick up the newspaper and read this story about the missing woman. It, this story is actually, some of you guys may have known where this story was going. This story has been turned into television shows, into novels. Alfred Hitchcock did a movie about it called The Lady Vanishes, but it takes place on a train and it involves spies and a knife-wielding magician, which sounds way cooler than this story, but I read the plot and it's just kind of lame. There's some like woman walking around in bandages. It's not the mummy, so not as interesting. And then the knife-wielding magician, like, I guess just disappears. He just disappeared from the plot, from the write-up on Wikipedia. But anyways, this story's been told over and over and over again in all sorts of mediums. It definitely captures the imagination. It's been around since 1898. And what A. Carter 8 has done is what other people have done over the past hundred years. In 1929, there was a journalist for The New Yorker named Alexander Woolcott. He wrote a column on it for The New Yorker. And he tracked down the author of the 1898 article. His name was Carl Harriman. It's Bigfoot. It's Bigfoot, uh, Bigfoot's cousin. Carl Harriman of the Detroit Free Press. And he asked him, is that story real? 
back when I was doing, uh, when I was a journalist, when I was writing, before digital, we were doing print papers and we had to print everything out and put it on a thing and send it to the printing press and all this stuff. You had column lengths that you couldn't mess with. Like if you had a four inch gap in your paper, you had to have an article or an ad in there. You just couldn't have a blank spot. Now with online newspapers, it doesn't matter. Everything formats to the page. But what Carl says is, he goes, this is what I remember. There was a column that we had to fill. They had a column that they needed something for. And Carl remembers, I remember we had blank space and I put the story in there. And so Alexander goes, yeah, yeah, I get that because that's what journalists do. But is the story real or not? And this was Carl's quote. Whether I invented the story or whether someone told it to me as an anecdote and I expanded on it, I cannot for the life of me tell you after all these years. And that was the answer for a long time. People go, okay, it's an embe- whatever it is, it's at least an embellishment. He may have made it completely up or it could have been a story he just heard and he added stuff to it. But, but people kept investigating it. It's definitely been something people have been curious about over the years. and. It was found that the Free Press, another newspaper, published a version of this story 10 months before Carl Harriman's post in the Detroit Free Press. So even though his story is what made it popular, they were able to actually trace back and find a variation of it on November 14th, 1897. This article was entitled, Dropped Out of Existence. A strange and true mystery of the French capital. This is a really cool and weird addition to this story. So remember the story I just told you. Everything pretty much starts the same, but this article that came out 10 months before it became a viral hit tells a story, but it involves two daughters and a mom. They're going there for the expo. The mom gets sick. And the two daughters are trying to figure out a way to treat her. And when they come back, the mom is gone. Pretty much the same story. But there's an additional fact in this news article in 1897. Months later, the expo is ended. The daughters are still looking for their mother, though. And a police officer tells them what really happened. This is so cool. The police officer says this. Your mom came into the hotel, and our hotel doctor almost immediately realized she was suffering from black smallpox, an incredibly fatal, incredibly contagious disease in the middle of the exposition. So while you were taken off the premises to go find medicine to help her, she died. We removed her body. We destroyed her luggage. We didn't tell anybody, even you, because it would cause a panic. That would even make sense as far as why the wallpaper and the curtains were different when they went back. Because they would have been destroyed because they were contaminated. Now, in that article in the Free Press in 1897, it doesn't have the detail of that stuff being destroyed. That may have been something that Carl had added on later. But remember, Carl's story just ends with the mystery. The original article published 10 months earlier explains what happened. And that article wasn't a way to just fill space. That article appeared in several major U.S. papers on the exact same day. 
So a wire had come overseas and major newspapers were publishing it. It wasn't just a little, we need to fill some space. It was an actual news story. I love this story because on the one hand, you have the combination of that mystery. What happened to the mom on that night? It's very compact. When in real life, the chain of events probably took a little bit longer. They probably didn't say, oh, your mom doesn't exist. She never showed up. They probably just go, oh, she got up and left. We don't know what happened to your mom. She must have taken her luggage and left. She disappeared. The hotel wasn't like, they didn't have like on like little mystical cloaks and they're pretending like some sort of portal opened up. They go, she must have left while you weren't here. I'm so sorry. I mean, stick around in town. You can have the free buffet, but she's gone. She left. Yeah, she did show up. We're not doing all this spooky magic. She simply disappeared. So you have that. That's creepy in and of itself because you have, again, like the government, you have a private corporation making people disappear. Did she die of natural causes? Did they happen to just speed that death along so they could get this body out of here? Were there other people who went missing from this highly contagious fatal disease that they didn't have the loved ones in town looking for them? They just went to the expo, and then when they never went back home, people go, oh, maybe they decided to stay in France. Their corpse is being taken out of a hotel and buried in a pit. It just has all these different combinations of creepy. The possible mystery of the Mandela effect. Alternate universe portal stuff. And then you have real life tragedy. And people making decisions that affect other people without their knowledge. So that, my ghoulish friends, my fiendish friends would have worked better. Is our trilogy of terror. Are you chilled to the bone? That might. That's actually a symptom of black smallpox, by the way. You might need to go to your doctor. These stories are not terrifying in the sense of creatures busting down your door to eat your guts or the serial killer chasing you with a blade to eat your guts. It's a cannibal serial killer. They're terrifying in separate ways because they remove power from us. There's nothing more powerless than being frozen in your bed from being mind-controlled or from being manipulated by people who you trusted would take care of you. Not having the ability to fight back, being powerless, is actually the scariest thing of all. And it happens all the time, every day, to all of us. We're in a constant state of mental fear because we live in a world that we are powerless in. It eats at us every single day. You think we'd be used to it by now. But it's still the scariest thing out there. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. (laughs) 